This week on Mobile First, a conversation with Aki Iida, head of mobile at Zappos Family of Companies. Just seeing people completely engaged in what they're doing and you see people that are passionate and want to work together with, like that's when you see that, like that's kind of like the most you see really great things happen. Like you want to see, you want to have a highly motivated team that you know is willing to take challenges and love what they do, love the technologies that they're working on. Welcome to Mobile First. You'll find bonus tools, expanded information, and key takeaways from this episode on our website, EmergeMobileFirst.com. For a quick and effective way to level up your mobile strategy, again, that's EmergeMobileFirst.com. In this episode, we're going to explore Zappos mobile data and dissecting their traffic coming from mobile. Aki suggests what experiences retail should be natively building for a better web experience and how you should go about planning your mobile strategy to have the greatest return on investment. As a brand that's wanting to invest or already are investing in a technology and you are looking to better align with mobile user behavior, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Aki, thank you for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate you know taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, chat with us. Yeah, sure. No problem. So, you know, I gave you a, a little bit of an intro to begin with and recapped a little bit of our conversation, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about you and so we can get a little bit more insight about who Aki is. Oh, good Lord. Who am I? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, every morning when I wake up, I, I wonder that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. Like, I mean, personally, uh, for those of you who may not know, I mean, like the name Aki might sound a little strange uh, and my accent might sound a little strange to some. Uh, I am originally from Japan, although I was born in Guatemala. My mom is from Central America. My dad uh, is, uh, was Japanese. So I grew up uh, going to school in uh, Central America and Japan. Uh, I went to high school in Japan, then decided uh, for whatever reason to go to uh, college here in the United States. You know, I thought it would be a really good challenge. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with just the brochure of this, uh, at the University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. I thought that Stockton, you know, like I looked at it on the map, it looked like it was close to San Francisco. So I was like, oh, I like San Francisco. I don't mind going there. Stockton was not San Francisco, (laughs) (laughs) but still a lovely place. Uh, The college was great. I love the university. I love um, studying there and uh, making friends. And being in the Bay Area, uh, although you know Stockton may not necessarily be part of this, you know Silicon Valley, but close enough, uh, I was able to get a job in San Francisco at uh, Link Exchange, which uh, is where uh, I met Tony Shea for the first time. And then, as the company got acquired by Microsoft, uh, I stayed uh, with Microsoft for a little bit longer as the sort of dot uh, com. Uh, boom kept go- ongoing um, you know, and I kind of saw a lot of these companies in San Francisco just you know take off and also you know explode <laughs> or implode as it was at the time you know uh, Tony he, he was working on this you know on Zappos and I remember the first email that I got from Tony saying hey Aki what do you think about you know this shoe site company that I'm, I'm thinking about investing on and, you know, up until then, I had received multiple emails from Tony about other companies that he was working on or investing on. And, you know, I, I would maybe reply with, you know, a few comments here and there. You know, I'm not particularly like an investor. I don't know too much about stuff, but, you know, I just will give him at least my thoughts on it. And Zappos, I, I didn't know what to say. I was like, ah, you're selling shoes online. I mean, 
don't need people need to try shoes on. I don't know <laughs> how it's gonna work. Uh, so I was the, the kind of baffled, and I think it might be the only like company or email from Tony that I didn't reply to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, nevertheless, there are you know quite a few people that have worked at Link Exchange that ended up working at, at Zappos, and I kind of. Uh, go and hang out with Zappos folks and, you know, occasionally, like, you know, look at, look at the systems and, you know, go, uh, occasionally contribute, uh, at least on a volunteer basis anyway. And uh, then uh, later on, uh, 2002, uh, you know, the company had kind of like turned the corner. It had survived the dot-com bust. So I figured, you know, at that point, like it might be a little bit uh, safer, not absolutely safe, but safer to, you know, give uh, Zappos a try. And so at what point in the Zappos life cycle did you meet Tony? And it sounds like it was just almost like a startup idea at that time. The company was, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, the founder was Nick. And I think Tony got involved with Zappos. Uh, and I think at that time, probably he kind of was reaching out to all his friends to get, you know, you know some feedback, I suppose. Uh, so I think I was involved with Zappos fairly early on. Like I said, you know, uh, hindsight's 2020. <laughs> At the time, I, uh, you know, kind of a shoe company, you know, selling shoes online is not necessarily the most, you know, glamorous job. Or Right, that's you know, a logical thought, right? Yeah, and it didn't seem to make a lot of sense. The concept, again, like in order to you know, buy shoes, you feel like people need to touch them and put them on their feet. So it didn't make a lot of sense, but, you know, something that Tony kept, telling me as he was trying to pitch this idea of Zappos to me and friends of mine was that, you know, you know, Zappos wasn't necessarily at, anyway, at the time anyway, wasn't supposed to be, you know, a, you know, traditional online store that the business model was, uh, you know, based on catalog sales. So, you know, like people were buying shoes out of catalogs, like hard, you know, copies of catalogs, like product people were, you know, so people weren't really like, holding product as they were buying product from catalogs and that was the business so he said like there's a business model already like you know try and try it and uh, you know this is kind of what we're going after and of course like you know i i think he hit on something much bigger than that and so to rewind you did a lot of things abroad and you came to the u.s and got into international studies and i'm curious what led you into the engineering space uh my roommate <laughs> oh really okay yeah, so my roommate was a computer science major. So my roommate, given uh, that he was a computer science major and you know, all his friends were in computer science, and he was a TA and he was also like, uh, he worked at the computer lab. So in, uh, in college, there were like two computer labs, the, you know, kind of Windows lab where people go in and write, you know, uh, papers and write, uh, you know play with Excel sheets and so forth. And then there was the Unix lab, which is supposed to be, you know, the cooler lab where people would actually go and write programs and do programming. And he worked at the programming lab. And uh, he, given that he was a freshman uh, when he started and he got his job, he had like Fridays and, you know, so weekends and Friday nights uh, as his uh, shift. So he would call me up and say, hey, um, you know, I'm really bored. There's nobody here. Do you, would you mind coming over to the Unix lab and hanging out with me? And I would be like, okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'll come over. I'll hang out by the you know Unix lab, and I would see him actually do his you know homework, his, you know stuff, like actually write programs. 
And, you know, at first I wasn't that, you know, I just brought my books and kind of read the stuff that I needed for my homework uh-huh. assignment. And then I would look at what he was doing as far as, you know, I think like the, what caught my attention was when he started actually working on uh, web pages and like, you know, making animated GIFs. Uh, you know, that was very fascinating to me. Uh, so like, wow, you can actually put something tangible, something that's, you know, like people could see if, on a browser. Uh, how do you do this? And, you know, started playing with that stuff and uh, just kind of writing, you know, learning a bit of HTML, learning how to like, you know, play with like graphics and so forth. And uh, yeah, that, that got me hooked. Uh, after that, I just kind of like kept on learning more and more about, you know, how to make pages dynamic, how to put together a, you know, message board, how to, you know, uh, start playing with JavaScript and how to then store data in databases, you know, retrieve data from databases, what's a database, (laughs) all that kind of stuff. Um, So, uh, yeah, that's how we got started. Gotcha. You started playing around and getting interested in, in all the changes that were taking place. And we had a chance to talk a little bit before this and, and how you launched into mobile. And so I'd love to, to continue that train of thought right there as far as the evolutions that you took in your career, you know, going from a static page to a dynamic page to now the most dynamic page in mobile. And um, <laughs> can you maybe explain some of these uh, pivots and transitions you made through Zappos? Yeah. So, uh, you know, coming into Zappos, like originally I came on board as kind of like, a, you know, doing, doing uh, some engineering work, right? So I would be working on the shopping cart initially and uh, returns. In fact, I think I did some work, uh, you know, uh, figuring out how to improve the return process. And uh, then I started working on the shopping cart, then the product pages, then search results and search pages, then all the internal tools like, uh, you know, uh, when at Zappos, you know, a lot of the stuff that Zappos uses is kind of homegrown, like we built a lot of it. So, you know, anytime a a person from our call center, our CLT, uh, would take a call from a customer, all the tools that we use to kind of look up the customer, look up their orders you know, take care of their orders, you know, all those tools were written in house. Uh, So we had to build a lot of those uh, ourselves. And, you know, uh, also, you know, for merchandising, for them to place an order, you know, uh, for, you know, from brands. And they say like, okay, we want want to buy these many Converse shoes or whatever. Like all of that information had to be stored, managed, and, you know, be able for folks to retrieve it easily, you know, so all of these tools had to be written and all of that was, you know, uh, all written in-house. So I had a great opportunity to sort of learn quite a bit about different systems, different, you know, challenges, different businesses uh, or, you know, part, part of the business anyway. And do, do that, just kind of like, you know, uh, we were a very small team. So I, you know, we all had to like take turns, like working on different systems to, just to keep things up and running. So, yeah, so I started kind of doing development work, for, you know, initially mostly kind of front-end work, but then I moved to doing more and more back-end work. I think one of the more challenging things was uh, when Tony decided that we would have and um, develop a warehouse to ask us all to build a warehouse system. Like, <laughs> we didn't know much about, you know, warehouse systems, you know, what's receiving, what's picking, what's put away, what's shipping, what's, you know, like all of this stuff was not something that that I knew anyway. Uh, so I was really nervous to kind of tackle uh, a lot of that. But, you know, in, in the end, I ended up, you know, uh, spending like uh, maybe 10 months living in Kentucky, managing the warehouse and, you know, developing 
those warehouse systems and you know like learning things like you know low level like kind of like language and how to, how to write stuff to give commands to conveyors how do conveyors work how do you disorders work <laughs> how do you figure out how to scan the boxes and the barcodes on boxes and figure out how to divert the product and you know uh, how does the weight scans and dim, dim scans and all of these things how, how do they all work like you had to like sort of trial by fire you have to be there and you know and, and the warehouse was such a beast like it's such a you know once you're there like everything moves right you hear the sound of like all the conveyors moving you hear the sound of like you know product being diverted you see you see product come in and and you know like being picked and being packaged and shipped uh it's just a constant stream of product moving moving and you know uh, one of those little pieces break and then suddenly you know the whole thing kind of comes to a crashing halt some of the things would be caused because of software, some of it would be hardware or configurations of people, right? So like it could be that somebody put the shipping label, uh, you know, the shipping, uh, so the, the labels themselves, you know, will be printed on a piece of paper that, you know, has adhesive uh, and those, you know, uh, shipping labels will be printed on top of the box. Well, somebody loaded the, you know, loaded the paper incorrectly or whatever, and then suddenly there's a jam and then, you know, no, nothing is printing. and. You know, they go, hey, the printers aren't working. Is something wrong with the software? It's like, well, <laughs> okay, let me go see. And you have this really massive, like, big building that you have to kind of run around and, like, go go troubleshoot. Uh, so I, I learned a lot. I learned, any, uh, you know, from not, not just necessarily, like, the software pieces, but also, like, you know, uh, figuring out creative ways into addressing all of these things. So, you know, one of the things that I did is create a team of people that would do troubleshooting. So instead of having engineers actually go out there and see whether a problem was caused by software or hardware, we, you know, hired a few folks from IT that, we, you know, all they would do is just go in and troubleshoot, you know, like, find out if the problem was actually a hardware problem or software problem and then log tickets and like, you know, uh, come with a full report of what the problem was so that our engineers wouldn't have to like stand up from their desks and spend like maybe an hour just going to find out what the problem is and then have to walk back to their desks and code. So I did a little bit of that and um, a little bit more than a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. No, you got me really curious because I I mean, modernizing the supply chain is an issue that a lot of brands face and, you know, being able to come in with that technical oversight, I'm curious, you know, what, from, from your perspective, what was the biggest thing that you learned or, you know, that you found that technology enabled in the Zappos supply chain? I think for me, like the, you know, one of the most awesome experiences was, you know, initially we were kind of printing a lot of stuff. So in order to pick a product, what we would do is like people would just print these huge stacks of paper and distribute those stacks of paper to pickers and tell pickers, hey, go pick up this item from the shelf. Eventually, what we did, and also, uh, you know, when we were putting away product, you know, we had to like sort of uh, figure out where to keep track of where we were storing all of these products. In the early years, what we were doing is we were storing all of these information into like flat files. So we had like these scan guns that would scan all this information and store it into a flat file. Then then we would upload uh, through a browser, and you know then we would store it into our database. And uh, you know that's how a lot of that work was getting done. Eventually, we actually put you know um, wireless access points like uh, all over the warehouse, and we developed all these tools that would you know now and wirelessly be talking to our uh, systems and do updates real time of, you know, individual, you know, pairs of shoes or individual, you know, products. 
so like moving to that was really exciting but you know working with folks on the floor and you know uh, at the time i think a lot of people were not uh, you know even internally like the suggestion was to build like a telnet type system because like you know that's kind of what the technology was at the time and i sort of uh, wanted to try using browsers instead and have like a you know have a website uh of sorts so like instead of having telnet and having people typing stuff what if people could just scan things just use barcodes and you know put barcodes everywhere and people could just scan these barcodes and the system was smart enough to return images and you know even sound once we were able to do that, then I think, you know, we, we built a pretty interesting kind of system. And yeah, that was really exciting. Like just, I think in a way that was kind of my first array into like building mobile, you know, type software because <laughs> these devices were technically mobile devices, you know, they were catching this like, you know, uh, devices that were connected wirelessly and, you know, you have a browser and, you know, as you're scanning all this stuff, you're sending information back. And yeah, that was, uh, a lot of learnings there, specifically about how, you know, working on the floor and like talking to people and see how they do their work. And then, um, you know, uh, taking that feedback and incorporating that quickly into your user experience and like, you know, go back to this same user and say, hey, I changed this. How, how, how do you feel? How does this work better? And observe them and, you know, work with them. Uh, I think that was, uh, you know, a very, very interesting part of it. I think like that's, uh, you know. I can't uh, stress enough how important it is to kind of like put yourself into the user's kind of like shoes and, and really talk to them and, you know, uh, not just to try it yourself as a user, but like talk to different users and understand their use cases and try to improve that uh, experience for them. Yeah, I mean, that's sound across the board with internal and consumer facing. And the example you just used was the, the workplace modernization. So do you, have you found that, you focus more so on the modernization of the internal workings or is it about 50 50 with consumer facing or more so on the consumer facing side? Now, now I do all like consumer facing stuff, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that was way back then. Like, I mean, that's when, you know, uh, when I was, I, I helped build that, you know, when I was giving the opportunity to help build the warehouse uh, system. But, uh, you know, uh, since then, you know, I was able to find another person to, as a warehouse manager and then move back to Las Vegas. And as soon as I came back, I think I was given uh, you know, different projects within marketing to enable like a lot of their marketing software uh, or improve our marketing software. And then I moved on to the front end side and uh, managed the user experience team and the front end development team, then uh, you know back end, uh, a couple of back end uh, groups, and from then uh, you know I moved into this little thing that's the mobile mobile group. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked the full gamut, sounds like. Ah, uh, yeah, I've been I've been lucky. I've been given like a lot of opportunities. I think it, you know it's, it's just been uh, an interesting interesting experience, just being able to see all of these different changes and all of these different groups, and 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 it's also interesting to note that there's you know kind of similar problems keep on arising. You know, it's like uh, there might be different programming languages, but you know they all have like you know uh, flow control and you know all that kind of stuff. Like there's a lot of stuff that's similar, right? Like I think that there's a lot like of that framework. Right. Or just like, you know, things like, uh, oh, you know, what's the, are there like, um, is load time an issue? Like, you know, or like, <laughs> like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't necessarily change, um, you know, but uh, just, just that the technology under, uh, you know, underneath changes, but a lot of the, you know, 
kind of like themes are kind of the same. Like a lot of the problems are very similar. They don't, they don't change that much. So now with your main focus in mobile and, you know, just calling out these, these challenges that arise, I think it's just a natural segue into what are, what are some of the big things that are prohibiting scale right now with mobile or what are the things that you've noticed mobile has enabled more so the, cha- the challenge and the opportunity? So I, I think uh, what changes a lot is like our understanding of like, you know, customer behavior, right? Because, uh, you know, previously where you could, you know, kind of like understand users as to people that would use a browser and, you know, sit in front of a computer and, you know, like understand what their sort of customer journey was, right? Like sitting in front of a computer, they find your brand, you know, your website, they come in, they look at, you know, particular pages and they would add to cart and then check out and you know that was you know or or they uh you reactivate them through like email campaigns or whatever it might be like a lot of these things were kind of all tied into sessions within the browser and you know uh and even though people may have you know different computers like you know like most of the time customers were kind of like sort of just interacting with you on you know this desktop kind of experience and on a single browser with a single session like that was kind of like what the customer journey was now with mobile devices i think stitching together like the whole customer experience like stitching together what you know how customers interact with your brand like that changes things quite a bit because the visibility into understanding you know, what is our concept now of a session? Like, how do we understand, you know, what the customer journey is when people are like switching from environment to environment and you cannot no longer just track, you know, their session IDs because now they're kind of like people are using different devices. And so, yeah, so that's, it's, you know, makes it a little bit more challenging, but also like creates new opportunities, right? How can you then take advantage of all of these uh, new avenues or new you know, opportunities to be in front of the customer? And how do you leverage and, and tailor an experience within each device or, you know, within each particular platform? I think that's, you know, that, that can be exciting and, and, and new. Do you maybe have any examples of one of these exciting experiences that you've come across or that you're excited to try? So I think maybe, you know, that this might be a little outdated, but, um, you know, some of, some of the things that I learned really early on working with the mobile team, uh, you know, as initially we had like, you know, we started building an iOS app. So we, you know, went out by creating a, you know, iPhone app or actually an iPad app was our first app, uh, app that we created. And, uh, you know, from then we created an iPhone app and, you know, I, once we kind of saw the success there, we thought, okay, well, let's invest in Android and try to build Android apps as well and make sure that we don't, you know, that we're investing in that ecosystem as well. And so, you know, one of the things that Zappos uh, has been, you know, very fortunate in is, you know, we have gotten like some very passionate folks, you know, people who believe in this technology and want to be, you know, just curious and passionate about building, uh, you know, whatever technology they, they, they're working within. So, you know, the Android developers, uh, you know, initially when we started working with them, we kind of, the original sort of um, thought was let's build the Android apps to be exa- exactly the same as the, you know, uh, iOS app, right? Oh, like, gotcha. Okay. The things that you think about is like you know, brand consistency and user experience consistency. And you kind of get into those kind of trappings, I think, of like kind of, um, 
like brand first as opposed to plat- platform first. Yeah. Just kind of thinking about the brand and the brand image and like, oh, we have to make sure that, you know, we're, we're consistent across the board. So talking to the Android team, the team said, you know what, like we are an Android team, you know, we don't want to just replicate what the iOS team does in terms of quality. Right, at the look and feel, right? The look and feel and also like, it, it limits what you can do. If you tell the Android team you have to, you can you can only do things that you know iOS can do. Or, you know, then you, you sort of limit what they can do, right? Like say, so there are like uh, features that are specific to Android or user experiences or you know interactions that are unique to Android, and you couldn't do those. So you know, the Android team was very passionate and made you know, a, a case to me, which, you know, I wasn't necessarily too hard to sell on, to be honest, although I was kind of a little bit nervous. You know, they, they said, hey, you know, people, people who choose Android, an Android device, choose an Android device because it's, it's part of that experience. You know, if you choose to buy an Android uh, device, you, you want to kind of live within the ecosystem. And if you build like an OS app or, you know, an app that just looks like an iOS app within the Android ecosystem, it looks, it, do, it doesn't look as, as good. So, you know, let, let us sort of uh, build an, an Android-like experience, like a very different experience. So I said, sure, uh, you know, go, go for it. Um, let's, see, let's see where this takes us. <laughs> uh, but, I was, but I was really concerned. And it turns out that, you know, they were right. Like once we designed like the, you know, app to be more in line with what Android apps are, our conversion was higher, you know, customer satisfaction was higher. You know, so I think had I taken the opposite approach in like kind of, you know, chain both experiences like iOS and Android experiences to kind of be exactly the same, then you sort of like uh, force the teams to work on like the lowest common denominator, you know, like you have to, you, you, you can only innovate as much as both platforms allow you to. You can't build features, you know, are unique to them, right? And, you know, it's interesting because I've talked to other companies that have done things where they try to build as much of the app, you know, and their source code to be the same for both apps. And that just ends up being a disaster because, <laughs> you know, over time they just, you know, keep drifting more and more. Yeah. You know, it's best to kind of like, you know, separate that up and just kind of free up the, you know, you know, the app developers to just like be evangelists for the environment that they work in and really, you know, be passionate and love the, you know, like if you are an iOS, you know, developer, love Swift and love, you know, developing in Swift and, you know, new things and, and, and see where it takes you. Yeah, and oftentimes too, when you try to develop on two platforms, though you're you're having to maintain two code bases. So sometimes the support is twice, is two x, right? But at the same time, if the results are there, then it justifies it. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I think, yeah, I mean, it's true that you know you have two code bases. So like the, that's challenging, but at the same time, having two code bases enables you to not you know create some weird dependencies in each other, where you know like. Now you have to update something for iOS, but because the code base is the same, now you have to make sure that you test it in Android and you know, now stuff's going to break. Like that, I think that there's a higher cost, cost in trying to have like a single code base. Uh, although, you know, we'll see where, where it takes us with you know, React Native and all of these you know, new, new exciting technologies as, as they develop. Yeah, React is an interesting one that recently surfaced, I guess, 
not recently surfaced as far as the technology, but as far as the advancements of it, how it's becoming more adaptable to both uh, platforms. And so is there anything specifically interesting about that that you're waiting for or that you're wanting to try? Yeah, I think I think we would like to. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on it, right? Like I think we would like to observe it. I think you know with React, uh, I, I think it has uh, specifically React Native. I think there's a lot of promise there for what the future could kind of hold for us. That being said, you know I think it's going to be. It's not. I don't think that it will be. You know, leveraging like new and exciting features that you know the top of the line sort of, or, you know, like newest apps using the, you know, greatest updates from the operating system are going to be able to do, right? You're always be trying to catch up to that. So maybe, you know, in a, in, in the near future, what we would have would be like apps that are kind of hybrids, right? Like, you know, some of the code is going to be written in, you know, um, React Native, and then you have pieces that are, you know, completely native to, you know, written natively so that you can leverage some of the latest stuff. But we'll see. So in all your experience in mobile, you know, and where you see things going and being able to be on the ground and really hands-on to really experiment with this stuff, where do you think if you could do it all over again or, you know, for a brand that, that maybe is just starting to tinker with mobile or wanting to put more resources there, where, what would you say is, is the biggest ability to get the return and make a, an impact? The first thing's first, like always look at your data, like understand where the user need is, right? Like, you know, you can start by looking at your, you know, if you don't have anything, you haven't developed a mobile strategy and you don't have any mobile apps or anything, you know, look at your web server log, like understand, you know, what's currently, how many visitors uh, to your site are visiting your site using mobile devices, right? And which, which mobile device it is. Understand the operating system that, you know, these people are, are using on their devices. Um, and then, you know, understand what they're trying to do. Like, and does it make sense for you to build an app that will, you know, improve the customer experience? And what, you know, what are the benefits of these, you know, of apps for customers? I think, you know, always looking at data to kind of inform your decisions is, is kind of like the first step. You know, given what you've seen at Zappos and how users are engaging with these different platforms, is there a tipping point where a typical retail brand looking at data, seeing that a lot of the traffic is now mobile, uh, is there a specific experience you think they would want to build native for versus a, a mobile web experience? So, yeah, that's an interesting. I think you are kind of <laughs> put a lot of stuff in there. So, yeah, I think maybe you know, for first step is to look at your mobile web strategy first, I think. I would say that, like, invest there first. Because, like, you know, if you build an app and nobody downloads your app and you're going to spend all your budget in trying to get people to download your app, then, you know, and, and then people download your app and they don't find it particularly useful. Right. Then it's, it's a you know, pretty big investment that you kind of, you know, uh, maybe you didn't have to do, right? So I would say, like, first start investing on a, you know, mobile web strategy first. And, and again, like, analyze, constantly analyze what, what, what people are doing there. Then, you know, uh, again, like, as, as you, if it makes sense to you, then start, you know, building that uh, native experience, right? And again, like, native apps, the experiences can be much better, much richer. And I think 
more, most critically, I think, uh, native apps. If a person downloads a native app and uses your native app, like you know that they, you know, there's a very strong signal that they want to engage with your brand, right? Whereas, say, a person, you know, using a browser and going through Google or wherever, you know, like their search engine of preference ends up on your site, you know, they, they may not necessarily be, you know, uh, particularly engaged with your brand. They're just kind of looking at services or looking at products and kind of like bouncing around, right? Whereas once, you know, if you offer a compelling experience uh, and, you know, you have a compelling service and a compelling product uh, and people download your app, then, you know, every time they use your app, that's a fairly strong signal that, you know, they want to engage with you, with your brand and not, not just like, you know, looking for random services or products. I think that uh, that that's pretty important. I think that's that's a critical component of developing native apps. It's just that sort of creating that strong bond with your customer um, uh, more than anything else. But you know, before you get there, uh, you, you really need to invest in your mobile web experience or your mobile web strategy to kind of like again understand what where the signals are, like how many people are using mobile devices, and 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 see what to leverage. Aki, thank you for that. And that wraps up, I think, one of the bigger points I want to get out of it. And I have some rapid-fire questions here for you. Are you ready for them? Yeah, sure. All right. So what's your definition of innovation? My definition of innovation is always look ahead. Don't be, you know, uh, embrace and drive change. <laughs> that was what I say in the core values. Uh, you know, ne- never be scared of it. Like, you know, uh, try to jump in, uh, in it and, and, and try to have as much fun. So would you put more emphasis on the idea or the execution? And then how would you weigh each with a percentage and why? Oof, idea and execution. I mean, if the execution is terrible, no matter how good your idea is, like it, it, that's not going to help you. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, you know, uh, honestly, like execution is probably more, uh, 99% of it. <laughs> nice. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Maybe 1% idea. I, I, but again, like if you don't have the right idea, you, you're not going to go anywhere, but like, even if when you have the best of ideas, if the execution is absolutely terrible, you're not going to go anywhere. Like, you know, I, I was thinking, you know, it's going to give you the 50-50 kind of thing. But now, no, no. Like, <laughs> it's it's on record now. It's 99%. Yeah, no, execution is like absolutely critical, you know, like because uh, there's a lot that goes into executing something properly. Yeah. And so what's been your biggest learning lesson in your journey so far? My biggest uh, lesson in journey, uh, I think, you know, uh, I, I haven't talked about this too much. I mean, I talked about like the technology piece and maybe brought up the Android team a little bit. But I think uh, building with, uh, you know, working with folks that are passionate about what they do, like that's kind of like the most exciting part about kind of my job and what I see, you know, like what, that's what kind of really, aside from just kind of learning and, you know, solving problems, just seeing people completely engaged in what they're doing and see people that are passionate and want to work together with, like that's when you see that, like that's kind of like the most, you see really great things happen. Like you want to see, you want to have a highly motivated team that, you know, is willing to take challenges and love what they do, love the technology that they're working on is able to kind of work together, like, you know, seeing that, like, I think that has taught me, like, the value of having really strong teams, like, the value of having really strong uh, individuals and teams that can, can work together and, and, and build really great things. 
How about your uh, favorite business-related book? Business-related book. Oh, my God. Uh, can I cop out and just say, no, I don't know. <laughs> How about your favorite book? What's, what's the favorite, would, your favorite book would, you've learned from? I was going to say, like, a, you know, uh, Delivering Happiness. <laughs> That's fine. I need your pitch, though. I need to understand. It's only fun for me because I, I lived through it. Uh, that's all. Like it's just kind of like for me, it's kind of a journal of like a lot of the stuff that, that you know I've gone through, and like uh, and also like what Tony's pers- uh, you know, perspective is on on this journey of this journey of Zappos. I think I, I personally have a you know, different perspective on uh, you know on this as we all probably have. But it's interesting to kind of have that you know like a, a, as a book and, and knowing that people are reading it is just kind of like a trip. Yeah, and I'll make sure to link to that in the show notes because I think it's a great book that everyone should check out uh, that the CEO of Zappos wrote. So I think that's it's an awesome resource. So I'll definitely uh, link to that. I want to make clear that, you know, it's not that I'm trying to pitch it. It's just, you know, you asked me personally what, what I thought. And I think for me, it's just, it's just kind of resonant. You know, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, like history being replayed and see the perspective of a person that is not you going through that, you know, like seeing what perspective was. And, you know, seeing, you know, potential differences in how we, we perceive things and how, you know, he perceived things. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you have the emotional attachment to the experience, which totally makes sense. So definitely not, definitely not giving you a crap for that. So how about your, your, your favorite digital resource? Favorite digital resource? Uh, Safari books, probably. Okay. It's pretty cool. Uh, I mean, you know, Apple has some really interesting stuff also, like, the, you know, on iTunes. I think that they have really cool stuff. Yeah, um, I think that will be, those would be my uh, top two uh, places to go. And then I have my favorite question for you here, and I know you might be a little bit biased, but what's your favorite mobile app and why? <laughs> My favorite mobile app. Yeah, my gosh. I, I, you know, I, I, well, I think, you know, my new favorite I, might be the um, Zappos uh, Apple TV app that we just developed. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to kind of work on that, you know, like sort of think differently again and like, you know, new, deal with new challenges. And, and I, I think, you know, even though right now we only have the first version of it, I think it has a lot of interesting potential as far as what you can do. Like, uh, it, it's great to see, like, the um, images that we have, like the high-resolution images and the high, you know, um, like HD videos of our product. Because I think that's one of the strengths that Zappos has is, like, these really gorgeous images and, you know, great videos. And, you know, seeing those on TV, like really, you know, like kind of make our product pop. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's probably one of my uh, newest kind of favorite apps to play with. But yeah, I mean, sorry to sound like a salesman, but (laughs) (laughs) hey, it's a great it's a great brand, you know. Well, I'm, I'm also an engineer and a developer and, you know, I just kind of like out about these things. What's the coolest thing they're working on right now that you want everyone to know about? Coolest thing that we're working on right now, ah, uh, man, there's so much. I mean, like, I think uh, we're very excited about uh, you know all of our apps. I mean, like, I think in iOS we're making some pretty big, big investments. Uh, we're making some really big changes there. Um, you know, we we just released a new uh, home screen, and we want to continue to uh, improve that uh, home screen and uh, you know personalize the content on the home screen more and more. Um, we're doing some really interesting things in the back end with, you know, sort of, uh, you know, using machine learning and data science, which is really, really cool. Although I, you know, I'm not sure how to, uh, you know, for a, a 
people just using the app, I'm not sure like they will uh, be able to necessarily see how all of this really is tying together. But you know, uh, uh, just kind of looking at the backend is really exciting. <laughs> all right, so go check out Zappos Mobile. Aki, thanks so much for joining us today and spending some time. It was a pleasure to dig into your experience and really to get into your perspective on the technology end of Zappos. Yeah, great. Uh, thank you for this opportunity. It was really fun. Hey, thanks for listening today. Next time, I'm sitting down with Julia Kaplan, VP of Product at ThreadUp. We dig into some pretty insightful behind-the-scenes content in this episode, so tune in next week to check it out. And I'm always happy to be a resource in any way that I can, so visit EmergeMobileFirst.com to reach out to me directly or for additional insights, resources, and bonus tools that can help catapult your organization to the next level. Until next time, think mobile first.